We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 631 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, August 11th, 2023. It is the first game day of the Washington Commanders 2023 campaign. Uh, okay, yes, this is a preseason game day, but still, <laughs> this is a game day, a day of a game. The first of the Commanders' three preseason games this year is on Friday night at the Cleveland Browns at 7.30. How much key players will play, we do not know. I am not counting on key players playing a lot. Of course, rule number one uh, for this preseason game, as is the case for every preseason game, avoid injury. Few things in the NFL are worse than when a key player gets hurt in a preseason game. But I am actually excited for this game. Is that wrong? Should I not say that out loud? I am excited for this game. I am excited to see Sam Howell, who will be the commander's starting quarterback on Friday night, the team on Wednesday afternoon. Let that be known. Uh, I am hoping that Sam, for whatever amount of time he's in the game, throws a lot of passes. Uh, I am hoping that the offensive line looks at least decent. I am hoping that we see at least one big pass play by Sam. How about a deep connection with his former North Carolina teammate, receiver Deami Brown, who has received a good bit of praise from head coach Rod Rivera. But whatever happens, I can tell you this. There will be a special scheduled emergency installment of the podcast for Saturday morning. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, The oh-so-rare weekend installment of the pod, a special Saturday Commander's post-game show edition of the show will be out on Saturday morning. So be on the lookout for that when you wake up or uh, get home from your walk of shame. Uh, Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Hey, don't forget to follow this podcast if you're not already doing that. Following the podcast is free. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of this podcast. Well, coming up next segment is a guest 
NFL analytics expert Dan Pizzuta. Uh, Dan has written the chapter on the Commanders for the FTN Football Almanac 2023, an outstanding book of analytics-based breakdowns of all 32 NFL teams. FTN Football Almanac 2023 is this year's version of what had been the annual Football Outsiders Almanac. Uh, There has been a lot of stuff going on with Football Outsiders. And so the godfather of Football Outsiders, Aaron Schatz, uh, he has left Football Outsiders and the Almanac, at least for this year, has come out as the FTN Football Almanac 2023. But this book and the Warren Sharp book, the Sharp Football Analysis 2023 Football Preview. These are the two analytics Bibles of the NFL season. And the man who wrote the chapter on the commanders in the FTN Football Almanac 2023 is Dan Pizzuta. And he'll be on the show next segment. And we're going to talk about a number of things with our team, including the potential for Sam Howell to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this coming season in terms of rushing production, uh, a specific area in which the commander's defense last season enjoyed bad luck and thus is due for some good luck this coming season, potentially making the defense even better, uh, and a terrific advanced ad that captures the greatness of interior defensive lineman Deron Payne's 2022 season, and a lot more. Prepare to become smarter. Dan Pizzuta, next segment, Talking Commanders. Hey, let us get fired up, okay? Take you back to week 12 of the 2021 season. A 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. This was our head coach, Ron Rivera, Don Ron, during his post-game locker room speech to his team. Everything we need is in this room. Everybody in this room we need. We've got to work together, stay together, and be the team that we can be. We will not take it from anybody. I don't give a shit how they stack it against us. We're whipping it. Now let's play football. Here we go. Team all three. One, two, three. Team. Yeah, even on a preseason game day. How does that not fire you up? Everything we need is in this room. That's right. Everything we need is in this room. You see, that's the Ron Rivera I want us to hear. Not the Ron Rivera who has to read a prepared statement. Uh, Also on this show, uh, I will discuss a Nationals loss that included a really strange outing from that starting pitcher, Patrick Corbin. He, in a 6-2 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies on Thursday evening, allowed one run unearned in five innings. He gave up just one hit, which was a double, but he issued a staggering seven walks, and the unearned run charged to him came via an error by him. Uh, Just a really strange outing uh, for Corbin on Thursday evening. Uh, The Nats bullpen got ripped in this game too, although also in this game was shortstop C.J. Abrams continuing to do well, two for five with a double and a single, and he had a stolen base. He did commit an error, but the stolen base gives him 25 consecutive regular season steals without being caught. That is a new record for most consecutive regular season steals by a Nats player without being caught since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 
2005 offseason. And I late in the show, uh, we'll talk Orioles, the American League leading Orioles who continued their streak. The O's beat the Houston Astros 5-4 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Thursday afternoon to avoid a three-game sweep. The O's now have gone 76 consecutive multi-game regular season series without getting swept. That is the longest active such streak in the majors and is the fourth longest such streak in American League slash National League history. Uh, Now, (laughs) the Orioles bullpen for a third time in three games in this series was not good, uh, including a second consecutive bat outing for the ace reliever. Felix Batista. I will get to that and a lot more on the O's. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have received a lot of feedback on the big topic of the week, the uh, Ron Rivera, Eric Bieniemy situation, shall we say. Uh, Ron, he uh, during his pre-practice press conference at Commander's Training Camp on Tuesday morning, revealed that offensive players had come to him regarding the coaching style of assistant head coach slash Offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy and Ron also revealed that he had encouraged those players to talk to Bieniemy. And then Ron, in a response to a follow-up question, uh, rather cryptically said that players quote were a little concerned. End quote. Uh, we later on Tuesday morning had a previously scheduled post-practice press conference for Bieniemy, who spent the majority of that presser discussing and explaining and justifying his coaching style. And then Ron spent the bulk of his pre-practice presser on Wednesday morning apologizing for <laughs> and explaining what he meant by what he said during his pre-practice presser on Tuesday morning. Tweet from Michael, I'm not sure how he managed to do it, but Rivera looked even worse on Wednesday morning during his uh, clarification, reading a prepared statement off a printed sheet of paper. Yikes! I agree that this doesn't have to be a big deal, but Ron is making it one with his Ronnie's (laughs) and bungling. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Michael. Yes, Ronnie's, my name for the language of Ron Rivera. We, over the last few years, have become very fluent in Ronnie's. Ronnie's is the tendency, the penchant for Ron to, uh, shall we say, change his mind, or at the very least, change his public stance on things, depending uh, on his mood and what's convenient and what sounds good in the moment. Ronnie's. A tweet from Captain John writes, John, in my perfect world, EB electrifies the offense and the team follows suit. Ron stumbles, and EB is the team's HC in 2024. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, John. Uh, You know, that sentiment from John is part of why Ron Rivera could be out as commander's head coach after this season, regardless of what happens this coming season. I mean, you think about this situation. If the team does poorly, Ron will get fired. If the team does well, uh, well, that could lead to Eric Bieniemy being named the team's head coach, and Ron still getting fired. Tweet from Jackie, writes Jackie, the ones complaining are the ones who don't want discipline because Ron has been so laxy-daisy <laughs> about stuff and has allowed these players to be lazy, and now EB is not having it, so these players need to suck it up and do their jobs. Uh, thank you for the tweet, Jackie. Uh, As I have said, the only commander's offensive player whose concerns with Eric Bieniemy I'd be open to is receiver Terry McLaurin. Otherwise, I'm not interested in concerns or complaining from players who either just joined the team or have been part of the team, which has not had a good offense since the 2017 season. 
You know, one of the theories out there is that Ron Rivera revealed what he revealed on Tuesday morning in order to make Eric Bieniemy look bad because Ron feels threatened by Eric. I don't necessarily buy that theory, but that theory is out there. However, to me, what Ron revealed on Tuesday morning made Commander's offensive players look bad. Not Eric. Tweet from Bill. Right, Bill. I'm not so sure that the main beef about EB is just that he's loud and angry. It could also be about his profanity. EB reportedly screams F-bombs at players every few words. Who likes to have four-letter words spewed in his or her face, especially with fans watching? Where else is that even acceptable? Thank you for the tweet, Bill. Uh, I suppose that it's possible that some players don't like Eric Bieniemy saying bad words, saying naughty words, but, you know, cursing is a big part of football. I'm not saying that that's right, but that is reality. I mean, the amount of cursing from NFL executives, players, and coaches is so high. The amount of F-bombs said by NFL executives, players, and coaches over the course of a season is probably an amount for which we don't even have a number, okay? Uh, I would be surprised if Commander's players are that turned off by the cursing because they've probably been cursed at and cursed themselves throughout their careers. But, you know, you never know. Well, a law firm that is so good it'll have you cursing out of sheer joy is Paulson and Nace. Uh, If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that is always ready to fight for you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace provides a passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, how about this? Two verdicts versus Merrill Dow totaling $132 million. Yeah, Paulson and Nace has taken on Big Pharma and one. Uh, Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. Uh, Bradley versus the United States of America, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government had to pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Polson and Nace took on the U.S. government <laughs> and won. If you have a case, contact Polson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family.
Well, this episode of the Al Galdi podcast is for Friday, August 11th, the day of the Commanders 2023 preseason opener. Commanders at the Cleveland Browns Friday night at 7.30. But know this, we now are inside of a month until the Commanders 2023 regular season opener. Uh, Week one, Commanders versus the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon, September 10th at 1. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, NFL analytics expert Dan Pizzuta. Uh, he has written the chapter on the commanders for the FTN Football Almanac 2023, which essentially is the Football Outsiders Almanac 2023. There have been some problems at Football Outsiders recently, and so the famous yearly almanac that Football Outsiders had produced uh, this year has come out via FTNFantasy.com. But the almanac is what it always has been, really good. Uh, It features advanced statistical analysis, charting data, and more on all 32 NFL teams. This is a great book if you're into fantasy football or gambling or just want to understand the NFL better. Uh, You can get the book at ftnfantasy.com. You can follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta, which is spelled P-I-Z-Z-U-T-A. Dan, it's nice to talk to you again. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, happy to, to be here. Happy uh, we got out this uh, almanac, which, you know, one of my favorite things just uh, outside of me being able to, to work on it. Uh, so uh, glad we got it out and glad we can uh, be talking about it. So as you begin in your chapter on the commanders, nothing with the team this year matters more uh, than the team having been sold. The ownership era of Dan Snyder is over. We have all been rejoicing. But regarding the actual football, the FTN Football Almanac gives the commanders for this coming regular season an 81% chance of having at least six wins and a 36% chance of having at least nine wins. In doing your research and writing and thinking about the team, how realistic, in your opinion, is the team having at least nine wins in the 2023 regular season? You know, it's it's interesting because it, it is a a team that that should be you know pretty good, right? It's one of those where we're very high on the defense. Uh, if you look at the chapter and, and a lot of um, you know the numbers, it, we don't usually like defenses being good from year to year. That's not something we usually predict quite often. But for Washington, it is it seems like we're kind of a, a very sustainable way that defense is good so that sets a bit of a floor uh for this team and i think where you know the the ceiling is is whatever this offense uh, is going to be and that's where you know a lot of the questions are with with the quarterback and and the offensive line um so it's hard to see this team being truly bad uh but to get into that you know nine win type it's really going to depend on some of those things that are they're betting on on that offense really coming through And regarding that offense, you in the chapter on the commanders make an interesting point about the man uh, being positioned to be the team's QB1 this coming season, Sam Howell. And that point is that the commanders may have a quality cast of skill position players in the way that North Carolina had a quality cast of skill position players for the 2019 and 2020 seasons in which Sam did so well. Do you see the commanders cast of receivers, tight ends and running backs as good enough to elevate Sam? So, yes and no. I would say the wide receivers, uh, I would say, probably are, are up there. Um, you know, uh, love 
I've loved Terry McLaurin since he came out of Ohio State, and he's done you know nothing but prove he's the great. I made a joke in the chapter that every year it's like this is the best quarterback that Terry <laughs> McLaurin's ever played with. Uh, we do that every year in Washington, and you know it's a little early to to know whether Sam Howell is that, but it's not again still not a high bar to clear uh, for that to go on. I, I love uh, Jahan Dotson and what he's been able to do, um, kind of his just uh, ability to you know his his catch radius, his body control. Um, you know I just kept going back. To some of the, the long catch and runs he had, uh, the touchdown at the end of the the Giants game, uh, he had a, another kind of similar thing on, on a slant against the Cowboys late in the season. Um, so uh, full season of him, I think those are two really good um, outside receivers. Um, you know, Curtis Samuel, his role has never quite meshed with what they were expecting him to be. But now if he's a third option, I think they'll be a little more creative. So I think that the three wide sets will be pretty good. You know, you know Logan Thomas, after him, there's really not a lot of, of depth at, at tight end. Um, so I think you'll be... You know, you're not going to be using the tight ends and, you know, the Travis Kelsey role, as you might be thinking with with the enemy um, coming over. And then the the running backs, you know, I've heard a lot of talk about they're they're trying to use Antonio Gibson as a a receiver more. And obviously that's probably where he, you know, should be used. And that's going back to his role in college. So if we got that, there's an interesting skill talent there i think the the top two receivers are going to be the types that you would rely on to maybe carry um the the quarterback but overall it's you know it's not bad it's certainly been worse in washington too yes it has been uh of that there is no doubt i always like to look at the dyar metric that the ftn football almanac uses Uh, dyar stands for defense adjusted yards above replacement is similar to wins above replacement war in baseball sam howell in his nfl regular season debut the win over the dallas cowboys at fedex field in week 18 of last season had a dyar of plus 16 uh that's nothing special but he had a dyar of plus 27 from just his rushing a uh, plus 27 DYAR for a quarterback in a game from his rushing is a really high number. Do you see Sam as a quarterback who can be, say, I don't know, top 10 in the NFL in terms of rushing production among quarterbacks? You know, I think he could be used that way in, I, I think, you know, in a way that Daniel Jones was, I think, for the Giants last year, where uh, if you kind of have him out on, you know, the the read option stuff where the defense isn't really thinking about the quarterback all that much because he's not, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields runner. And I think that's where the Giants kind of use uh, like the some of those Daniel Jones runs to their benefit. I think Washington could use the same thing because they, they were, you know, similar athletes in college, uh, you know. When Howell's the best year, he had over a thousand rushing yards. And when you, you know, take out the, when you don't include yards lost to sacks, which the NCAA does, our numbers don't. So we had over, we give him credit for over, over a thousand yards. Um, so he definitely has the athletic ability. And it's one of those where if you get him into space, he'll be able to do some stuff like that. So I think having, you know, some of those boots getting him out of the pocket, that's another way, like if you kind of want to base it on what the Giants did, that's another way they got. Uh, Jones out from behind that offensive line, uh, behind uh, out of the way of taking some dangerous sacks. So I think if you you know move him around, you give him the scramble as an option instead of a checkdown. I think that's you know another thing the Giants did. I think you can kind of base part of the offense around that, and he could definitely use his legs as uh, as a floor uh, to get out of some trouble. 
We're talking Commanders with NFL analytics expert Dan Pizzuta. He has written the chapter on the Commanders for the FTN Football Almanac 2023. You can get the book at ftnfantasy.com. The Commanders defense, uh, very high expectations for this coming season. The defense last season was very good. Uh, you and your chapter on the Commanders discuss two aspects of defense in football that do tend to fluctuate year to year, third down defense and takeaways. The Commanders for the 2022 regular season were number one in the NFL and lowest opponents third down efficiency. So you could argue that that this coming season is going to regress to the mean. But the team for the 2022 regular season also was just 30th in the NFL in takeaways per drive. So you could argue that that this coming season is going to progress to the mean. Uh, Just out of curiosity, third down defense versus takeaways, is one more volatile than the other? Uh, No, I think we usually see both of those are kind of, you you don't want to be standing alone on either one of those things, uh, because like you said, they are things that we kind of do expect to regress to the mean uh, from year to year. So yeah, Washington is interesting where they made such a huge jump from year to year uh, in third down defense uh, from, you know, 2021 to 2022. Um, But again, they they weren't reliant on turnovers. And as I wrote in the chapter, when you have a team that's, you know, still fairly good at uh, stopping teams from gaining yards uh, and points without high turnovers. And we saw that with the Jets also. Um, it, it's usually, uh, it's more often a hint that there's going to be a leap uh, in the next year for the defense. But since Washington was already a really good defense, they were already top 10 in DVOA last year. Uh, so I think we're kind of projecting them to be able to sustain that because there are some positives that are going to go negative, but still some negatives that are going to trend uh, more positive in this coming year. Well, you and your chapter on the commanders also note that the team's defense in the 2022 regular season was the beneficiary of drops at an exceptionally high rate, 5.6% of catchable passes, highest such figure in the NFL. Uh, Something else from the chapter that really stood out to me regarding the defense was that it, in the 2022 regular season, had at least five defensive backs on the field, 92 percent of the time. We for years have known that nickel is the new base and that NFL defenses so often have at least five defensive backs on the field. But man, at least five defensive backs on the field, 92 percent of the time. Uh, What'd you make of that? I mean, I I think it it checks out when you kind of look at what they had and you know there were you know some up and downs with the linebackers uh, with some injuries and when you have a very strong you know defensive back pairing like they did and it's potentially even stronger now uh when you know you have uh forbes coming in uh from the defense you have uh, martin who's still also being good so i think that that rotation of defensive backs is going to be good and you have a lot of those guys you know uh you know the the cam curls who can play you know down in the box so they have a lot of versatile uh type of players so when you have that i think that does you know, open up more, like you're not really playing nickel sometimes when you have some of these, you know, three safety looks, it's a a bigger nickel, even in the three safety side, it just gives you a lot more versatility when you have the guys who can handle it. Uh, Those are, you know, that's putting the best 11 on the field most of the time. And I think Washington was really good at that last year. Yeah, the NFL, like the NBA, becoming more and more positionless. Can you ever see a day in which the NFL goes back 
toward those traditional base defenses of 4-3 and 3-4 actually truly being teams' base defenses? Or are those days done for good? I think it's tough because also, you know, I think we're seeing some things are a little more cyclical on offense where, you know, with a lot of the, the too high, there were teams getting a little bigger uh, and running the ball a little more on offense. But because of some of these defensive backs that we have now, because we have, the you know, the, the cam of the world, you can still, you know, fit the run and play some of those heavier uh, offensive formations, which is really what, you know, it makes defensive personnel go is you're reactive to what the offense is doing. But when you have some of those defensive backs that can be so versatile uh, and can stick with some of those heavier offensive formations, uh, you can you know still be running in nickel and be able to, to hold up against some of that. So I don't think we'll ever see, you know, three linebackers uh, in the way that we have in the past. That would certainly seem to be the case. Another interesting nugget on the commander's defense in the 2022 regular season from the chapter. Uh, Despite the commander's defense being really good last season, the team's opponents threw 28% of their passes to number one receivers, highest such percentage in the NFL. Uh, What does that say to you? Yeah, it was, there just wasn't really, you know, a, a true number one receiver and they, you know, wasn't a lot of uh, shadowing either. So I think the, but it, it worked out because I think, you know, Washington still had a good pass defense, especially when they started, you know, started playing a little more quarters, playing a little more of some of that, you know, the match defense when they were playing in zone. So um, I think, you know, teams are, are going to throw with their number one receiver, especially when, you know, they have one. So when there wasn't really a, that type of shutdown corner that was going to be following, I think that's more of just, you know, a process of how, Washington played their defense, uh, but I don't think that's something where, you know, it's really something to to worry about. And especially now where I think the secondary is stronger this year. So I would probably expect that number to drop also. A really cool metric that you guys in the book make use of is defeats. A defensive player is credited with a defeat anytime he makes any of the following plays. A tackle that results in a loss of yardage, including a sack. Any play that results in a turnover, including a tipped pass that then is intercepted. Any tackle or tip pass that leads to a stop on a third or fourth down. So with that as the setup, you and the chapter on the Commanders had this on the interior defensive line duo of Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Quote, there might not be a more dominant interior duo than Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Payne was ninth among defenders in total defeats, while Allen was 24th. Interior defensive linemen typically have their biggest impact on early downs, but 14 of Payne's defeats came on third down, the most at the position, end quote. Uh, Expound on that, if you would. What, you know, really stood out uh, to me with with them is when you kind of look at what the interior guys do, usually they are getting those types of numbers on first and second down. Um, but uh, 14 of Payne's defeats came on third down, which is the most among uh, interior defensive linemen. So he was making uh, pass rushing plays on third down, which, you know, not a lot of interior defensive line linemen are, are doing. And I think that's what makes them so dangerous on any down. Uh, these two guys can really be wrecking stuff from the inside. 
The perception for years has been that edge defenders are more valuable than interior defenders. And that may well still be true, but it feels like that gap has narrowed. Is that how you see this? Yeah, I think the value of the interior rush was always there. We just didn't have a lot of guys who were able to do it consistently. And I think we're just getting this uh, flood of players on the interior who can just, you know, get that pressure uh, and the way they were, you know, you, you have, we have our Aaron Donald of the world. We have our, you know, Chris Jones, but, you know, you have guys like a, a Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and just guys who can more consistently uh, get that type. We, we don't really have the, the big nose tackle, you know, quite as often either. So we're seeing some of these, you know, smaller bodies uh, who can just kind of win uh, on the pass rush. And that's what we're seeing more. And Washington's one of the few teams, like I said, that has, you know, two of them uh, that they can light up and just be an absolute nightmare for some interior uh, offensive linemen across the league. The commanders have Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne on big money contracts. Each of the team's top two edge defenders, Montez Sweat and Chase Young, is entering a contract season. Montez is a candidate for a big money contract extension right now. A conversation that we've had on the podcast has been, are the commanders over-invested in this singular position group of the defensive line? I'm interested in your take on this. Defensive line versus secondary in the current NFL, is one unit more worthy of big money than the other? I don't think so. I know when, you know, these types of conversations kind of come up on Twitter, it's, you know, it's the way they're talked about is, you know, in a, like a baseline of an average defense where you're like, you're kind of starting from scratch, but when you have a team like Washington, it would make a whole bunch of sense to be paying the really good guys you have on the defensive line. I don't think Washington should be looking at it and be like, oh, we're not really spending enough in the secondary. We should get rid of our great pass rushers. Um, so it, wait, on a team like Washington, yeah, you absolutely – I don't think there's a way you can be – over investing in that line especially in the way with those two guys especially the you know the two guys inside where and that's just not a place where a lot of teams can have that type of production so i think it makes things for the edge rushers easier we were talking about some of the linebacker play it eases the responsibilities of the linebackers when you have uh, that type of um you know in, production coming from the defensive line makes things easier on the secondary too. So it just kind of depends on what type of team you have right now. Washington's clearly one that's that's built for the front, but that hasn't stopped them from you know, getting more guys um, in that secondary. Obviously, you know, Forbes good. Uh, you have the, those safeties that, you know, they've gotten on on the cheap contracts and obviously that'll uh, start to, to come up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think when you have a team like Washington and that's where you're built, yeah, you keep keep going into it. Is the play of defensive linemen more stable, more predictable than the play of defensive backs? Yes. Yeah, I think we, we've seen um, a lot, to, you know, no matter kind of who's doing the, the studying or, or the charting, uh, the play of defensive backs usually from year to year is very volatile. Uh, there are a few guys who, you know, can be really good year to year in some of those charting things. But um, we, we do find the individual charting of defensive backs is, is much more volatile. And you can kind of, you know, you can look at a pressure rate from uh, an edge rusher and kind of know whether he's going to be able to produce uh, again. And, and that's just not quite the same um, at defensive back. So with the performances of defensive backs being so unpredictable, should NFL teams avoid 
paying defensive backs big money given their unpredictability? Or could you argue that the uh, scarcity of the resource, with the resource being consistently good defensive backs, commands paying those guys big money? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. One, uh, a lot of GMs have to try to figure out, and I think we've kind of seen that because the cornerback market really has not gone up in, in the same way that you know some of like the the wide receiver or an edge rusher market. I know, like you know, last year uh, when you know JC Jackson got his contract from the Chargers, it was really you know the same contract that Byron Jones got from the Dolphins, like four off seasons prior, three off seasons prior. Um, and that's not typically the, what you see at, you know, the, the top of the market when a player like that is available in free agency. So I think we've, we've kind of seen, there's been a little bit of a flattening, you know, it's nowhere near what we see with running backs now. Um, but I think we have not seen that big of a jump, uh, kind of because of that reason i think you know there was a big thing about you know whether they pay safeties and whether they were worth it and i think we kind of see that they are now so i think that's kind of you know gone a little bit but i think you just kind of see in the way that some of the top contracts have not jumped quite as far as they have at other positions i think you're you're kind of seeing that a little bit all right excellent insight nfl analytics expert dan pizzuta he has written a chapter on the commanders for the ftn football almanac 2023 you can get the book at ftnfantasy.com dan thanks a lot for your time and have a great weekend yeah absolutely appreciate you having me on we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, the good news is that the Nationals on Thursday evening did not get no hit. Uh, the bad news is that the Nats on Thursday evening did lose uh, a 6-2 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies. The Nats lost three of the four games in the series. The Nats in their 2023 regular season now are 50 
and 66. Wednesday evening, we had the uh, 7-0 no-hit loss, courtesy of Philly starting pitcher Michael Lorenzen. Thursday evening, we had an outing from the Nat starting pitcher, Patrick Corbin, that truly was bizarre. Corbin allowed one run unearned in five innings. He gave up just one hit, which was a double, but he issued a whopping seven walks. Yeah, seven walks. Seven walks in five innings, and yet he did not allow a single earned run. That's hard to do, and yet Corbin did that. Uh, And he had just two strikeouts. He threw 87 pitches, just 44 strikes versus 43 balls. Nearly as many balls as strikes. And the unearned run that was charged to Corbin came via an error by Corbin. Uh, He, to begin... The bottom of the six whiffed on an attempted catch of a throw by first baseman Dominic Smith, who in shallow right field had made a terrific backhanded catch of a grounder off the bat of Bryson Stott. You know, you take a step back, you don't know whether to praise Corbin or rip Corbin (laughs) for what he did on Thursday evening. Maybe both. Uh, The Nats bullpen in this 6-2 loss at the Phillies on Thursday evening did come back down to earth. Uh, Three Nats relievers combined to allow five runs in three innings. Andres Machado, uh, he had been rolling, but he had a rough time uh, in this game. Uh, Two-run Philly six. He officially allowed a run in a third of an inning. He faced four batters, but got just one out. He came into the game in the bottom of the six with a runner on first, no outs, and the Nats nursing a one-nothing lead. And he, on the second pitch that he threw, gave up a two-run homer by ex-Nat Trey Turner to left field for a 2-1 Phillies lead. The homer winner projected 404 feet per stat cast. Joe Sorsa then came into the game. He allowed four runs in one and two-thirds innings. He came into the game in the bottom of the six with runners on first and second, went out, and the Nats down 2-1. And he did a good job in this spot. He, on just five pitches, retired the Phillies' numbers one and two batters. Ex-Nat Kyle Schwarber via strikeout and Alec Bohm via lineout. But Sorsa in what ended up being a four-run seventh for the Phillies, was a mess. He issued a leadoff walk of Rodolfo Castro. Lasorsa then gave up a two-run homer by Nick Castellanos to left field for a 4-1 Phillies lead to conclude a nine-pitch plate appearance in which Castellanos had been down in the count at 1.02. Lasorsa then, on the very next pitch, issued a first pitch, hit-by-pitch of Bryson Stott. And then LaSorsa gave up another homer, a one-out, two-run, opposite field homer by JT Realmuto to right center field for a 6-1 Phillies lead. And LaSorsa then gave up a two-out double uh, by Johan Rojas to left field on a 1-2 pitch. Uh, the Nats reliever, who was good on Thursday evening, uh, was Jose A. Ferrer. He tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth. But yeah, a Nats bullpen that had been resurgent Uh, Came back down to earth big time uh, in this game on Thursday evening. Uh, And then there was the Nats hitting in this 6-2 loss at the Phillies on Thursday evening. The Nats actually out-hit the Phillies 10-6 and yet lost 6-2. Why? Well, three things. Uh, Number one, home runs. Number two, walks. Number three, hitting with runners in scoring position. The Nats in this game on Thursday evening, zero homers. The Phillies, three homers. Uh, We know that the Nats do not hit many home runs, so the Nats for this regular season are 29th 
out of 30 major league teams in home runs with 104. The Phillies are tied with the Orioles for 16th in the majors in homers with 134. Uh, the Nats on Thursday evening drew one walk. The Phillies drew nine walks. Uh, thank you, Patrick Corbin. And the Nats on Thursday evening went just two for 15 with runners in scoring position, although the Phillies went 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. Uh, but four Nats on Thursday evening each had two hits, uh, Ildemaro Vargas, C.J. Abrams, Capet Ruiz, and Joey Manessis. The biggest offensive force for the Nats uh, was Ildemaro Vargas. He is the Nats starting third baseman and number six batter, went two for four with two one-out RBI doubles. Vargas in the Nats, one run six, had a one-out RBI double to left field for a one-nothing Nats lead. And Vargas in the Nats, one run eighth, had a one-out first pitch RBI double down the right field line to cut the Nats' deficit to 6-2. Uh, C.J. Abrams in this game made some history. Uh, he is the Nats' starting shortstop and number one batter, went two for five with a double and a single. And he had a stolen base. He did commit an error, but Abrams in the top of the third had a one-out single up the middle on an 0-2 pitch and stole second base, giving him 25 consecutive regular season steals without being caught. That is the longest such streak by a Nats player since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason. That is impressive. And I know this season you have bigger bases, okay? It is now easier to steal bases as compared to yesteryear. But 25 consecutive steals without being caught, uh, that is impressive, okay? I, I don't care what the environment is. I don't care what the circumstances are. 25 consecutive steals without being caught. Great job, by C.J. Abrams. Also for Abrams in this game, top of the ninth, the went out opposite field double to the left center field gap. Uh, Abrams in the bottom of the second did commit an error as uh, he in uh, shallow left field bobbled a leadoff grounder off the bat of Bryson Stott uh, and then made an errant throw to first base. Uh, also, Kbert Ruiz on Thursday evening got on base three times. He is an at starting catcher and number four batter went two for three with two singles and a walk. And Joey Manessis on Thursday evening as it at starting DH and number three batter went two for five with two leadoff singles. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series against the major league worst Oakland A's at Nationals Park. The A's are atrocious. I mean, the A's are tracking toward being one of the worst teams in MLB history. The A's for this regular season are a major league worst 33-82 and 82, with a major league worst run differential of minus two. 176. The next worst run differential is that of the National League worst Colorado Rockies at minus 166. So the Oakland A's have a run differential that is 110 runs worse than the next worst run differential in the majors. That's how bad the 2023 A's are. Now, of course, that guarantees nothing in terms of this series at the Nats' this weekend, but man, the A's are putrid. Uh, game one, Friday night at 7.05, Joanna Doan will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday night at 7.05, Jake Irvin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35, Trevor Williams will be the Nats' starting pitcher.
Well, the Orioles' three-game series at the Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards this week was not easy, Uh, but the O's did avoid getting swept, and so the streak continues. The O's now have gone 76 consecutive multi-game regular season series without getting swept. That is the longest active such streak in the majors and is the fourth longest such streak in American League slash National League history. Uh, Thursday afternoon, a 5-4 win over the Astros in a game for which the start was delayed by 13 minutes due to rain, but also a game that had the O's, Joe Angel, (laughs) back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That's right, Joe. The win column uh, and the Tampa Bay Rays on Thursday evening lost. Uh, a 5-2 loss to the St. Louis Cardinals. So the O's down for this regular season are 71-44. and Best record in the American League. Now three games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. Uh, although the O's now also are three games ahead of the American League West leading Texas Rangers for the best record in the American League as the Rangers are a percentage point ahead of the Rays. So the Rangers are actually second in the American League. Uh, Now, this Orioles win over the Astros on Thursday afternoon did come with a big-time scare, uh, thanks to the Orioles' bullpen struggling for a third time in three games in this series. You know, the Orioles' bullpen was terrific in the three-game sweep of the New York Mets at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last weekend. Orioles relievers in that series combined for 10 scoreless innings, but the Orioles' bullpen in losing two or three games to the Astros was bad. Uh, The 7-6 loss on Tuesday night Four Orioles relievers combined to allow five runs in three innings, including the ace reliever, Felix Batista. Uh, He, in the top of the ninth, allowed four runs in two-thirds of an inning. He loaded the bases with one out on a walk and two singles and then gave up a one-out grand slam by Kyle Tucker to right field for a 7-6 Astros lead to conclude a nine-pitch plate appearance in which Tucker had been down at 1.02 and in which Tucker fouled off each of the four pitches before the pitch that resulted in the grand slam. Uh, The 8-2 loss on Wednesday night, four Orioles relievers combined to allow five runs in four innings. And then in this 5-4 win on Thursday afternoon, three Orioles relievers combined to allow two runs, one earned in two innings. CNL Perez, uh, he was charged with an unearned run in two-thirds of an inning. He faced four batters, but got just two ounces. He had what ended up being a one-run Astros eighth, gave up a one-out single by Kyle Tucker, there's that name again, uh, to right center field on an 0-2 pitch, and then Perez committed a two-out error. Uh, Perez on a grounder by John Singleton on a 1-2 pitch, attempted to make a barehanded catch at first base of a throw from first baseman Ryan Mountcastle, but dropped the ball. Then Yanir Cano came into the game. He faced two batters, but got just one out. Uh, Cano, to the first batter he faced, gave up a two-out opposite field RBI single by Mauricio Dubon to no man's land in right center field on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Orioles' lead to 5-3. And then we had Felix Batista pitching for the first time since his disastrous outing on Tuesday night. He did get the save, but it wasn't easy. He gave up a one-out first pitch double by Jose Altuve off the left field wall, issued a one-out wild pitch that advanced Altuve to third base, issued a one-out five-pitch walk of Alex Bregman, issued a two-out walk of Kyle Tucker, there's that name again, to load the bases and gave up a two-out RBI single by Yainer Diaz on a well-hit line drive off the glove 
of third baseman Ramona Rios to cut the Orioles' lead to 5-4. But Batista then got John Singleton with the bases loaded to pop out to shortstop Gunnar Henderson in shallow left field to end the game. Quite the scare for the O's. Uh, we During the post-game press conference of O's manager Brandon Hyde on Thursday afternoon had this exchange between O's insider Rich Dubroff of BaltimoreBaseball.com and Brandon Hyde. With Felix, are you getting nervous there in the ninth? I thought we had it the whole way, Rich. I think Brigman and Tucker and Alvarez, I think they hit every inning. I'm just going to, I'm just going to check to see if they're hitting out of order (laughs) because I feel like they hit eight times a game. (laughs) Yeah, it did feel that way. The Astros are a really good team, but this Orioles bullpen is very much a concern. And oh, by the way, the O's on Thursday morning placed a key reliever, Danny Coulomb, on the 15-day injured list. Uh, retroactive to Wednesday with left biceps tendonitis, the uh, corresponding roster move was the recalling of reliever Joey Crable from AAA Norfolk off him having been optioned to Norfolk on Wednesday morning. Uh, however, the O's on Thursday afternoon did win, and a big reason for that was their starting pitcher, Dean Kramer. Kramer allowed two runs in seven innings. Uh, he gave up six hits, two home runs, a double, and three singles. He issued two walks. He recorded five strikeouts. He threw a lot of strikes, 91 pitches, 60 strikes versus just 31 balls. He was branded high during his postgame press conference on Thursday afternoon on Dean Kramer. I thought he was a little sluggish early, to be 100% honest with you. I thought he got better as the game went on. Um, I mean, doesn't give up a homer there to Altuve. He might go back out for the eighth inning. But um, great job of pitching. Uh, I thought he he was feeling for it a little bit early, and then I I saw a little bit more intensity there after the second or third inning, and, and great job going getting through the seventh inning. So Dean Kramer, for this regular season, still does not have very good numbers. 24 starts, ERA of 450, a whip of 132. But he, by my count, has been at least decent in 14 of his last 18 starts. See, over his first six starts, had an ERA of 667. That really hurt his ERA moving forward, but he has been a lot better since then. Uh, also, credit the Orioles' defense, some nice plays in this uh, 5-4 win over the Astros on Thursday afternoon. And the Orioles' hitting on Thursday afternoon uh, was all about quality, not quantity. Uh, the O scored five runs, but did so on just eight hits and no walks. How? Uh, Well, five of the eight hits were extra base hits, two home runs, a triple, two doubles, and three singles. And the O's went three for three with runners in scoring position. Adley Rutschman, uh, boy, did he end up having a terrific series. He, on Thursday afternoon, as the Orioles starting DH and number one batter, went two for four with a solo homer and an RBI single. Uh, Rutschman ended Orioles one run first, had a leadoff opposite field home run to left center field for a one nothing Orioles lead. The homer would have projected 412 feet per stat cast. And Rutschman ended Orioles one run six, had a first pitch RBI single up the middle for a 3-1 Orioles lead. Adley Rutschman in this series, 5-for-12 with two home runs, a triple, an RBI single, another single, and a walk. And Ryan Mountcastle, uh, his power surge continues. He on Thursday afternoon as the Orioles starting first baseman at number five batter went one for three with a two-run homer. Mountcastle hitted Orioles two-run seventh, had a two-run homer to left center field for a 5-2 Orioles lead. Ryan Mountcastle, over his last 11 games, has raised his slugging percentage for this regular season from 433 to 479. Outstanding. 
Uh, next up for the O's, a nine-game trip out west, beginning with a three-game series at the Seattle Mariners. And Brandon Hyde, during his pregame session with reporters on Thursday morning, did reveal that the O's likely are moving forward with a six-man rotation, with Cole Irvin being added to the rotation. And also, uh, remember, the O's at some point this season may have John Means back from the uh, Tommy John surgery on his left elbow on April 27th. 2022. And Tyler Wells at some point this season could be back pitching at the major league level for the O's off his demotion to double A Bowie. So game one at the Mariners Friday night at 10-10. Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two Saturday night at 9-40. Cole Irvin will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game three Sunday afternoon at 4-10. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So the next installment of this podcast will be a special Saturday scheduled emergency (laughs) installment of the pod. What will be episode 632 featuring in-depth reaction to and analysis of whatever goes down in the commander's preseason opener at the Cleveland Browns Friday night at 730. Have a great rest of your Friday. Enjoy the game, and I'll talk to you on Saturday. I told you, everything we need is in this room. Everybody in this room we need. We've got to work together, stay together, and be the team that we can be. We will not take it from anybody. I don't give a shit how they stack it against us. We're whipping Now let's play football. Here we go. Team on three. One, two, three. Team Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.